Hello, and welcome to the Magic Music Review Podcast. I'm Jim Spangler, your host. Join me each episode as we talk about our love of Disney music. It could be a song, a movie, a short film, a Broadway show, a Disney theme park, or one of the countless other forms Disney music takes. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey through the magic of Disney music on the Magic Music Review. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 17 of the Magic Music Review Podcast. I'm Jim Spangler, your host, and I'm really excited to... Uh, share the second part of the interview that we had with Deke Sharon, the creator of Deke Capella, uh, Disney's contemporary acapella group. It's a great conversation. We talk about the concert and how they do that. And we also talk a lot about the arrangements that were created uh, for this group. It's a great interview. It's a little bit longer than usual um, than most of our episodes, but I think that it's all worth it. I think that you're really going to enjoy what he has to say and what he shares. Uh, Deke Sharon's such a great guy, and I was so honored and pleased to be able to talk to him and share that with you. So without further ado, let's get back to the interview. The arrangements, I mean, when we start talking about arrangements, I, some of the things that you wrote are, are breathtaking. Um, and you have such a great canon of music to choose from. Right. Um, oh, you know, yeah. I'm like, I can't wait for the next album to come out. I'm like, do more, do more. Right. I know they're touring and that's hard, but you know, that's, that's what I was thinking. Sure. So let's, since we're kind of at that point, let's talk a little bit about the live performance. Cause like I of said, course. I just saw it literally like three days ago. Um, it's spectacular. They are so much fun and have such great energy on the stage. Um, they are so good. And I'll just tell you, I have a 15 year old daughter and a 13 year old daughter and the 15 year old daughter wasn't sure she wanted to go. Of course. Cause she didn't really know what it was and she's a musician, but she didn't have any idea. And she came out and was, I mean, she was blown away. She was so excited about that. Oh, good. And my 13 year old said, uh, turned and looked at me and said, he needs to do one of these for kids my age. <laughs> <laughs> and I was Hilarious. like, I'm glad that you were inspired. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I mean, that's the thing. The 15 year olds, that, that, that's what I'm saying. They're the hardest audience because they're totally. really, they're dialed into what's cool. And you have to break through this sense of um, image and, uh, you know, all of the stuff going on in their head. That's and, right. you know, they're like, well, you know, I listen to Billie Eilish. I don't listen to Disney anymore. I'm grown up. That's right. They're the toughest nut to crack. And that's why I said, if we can get those young Pentatonix fans on board, obviously what we've created will work for everybody else because we have yeah. shattered the steel wall of preteen angst and, uh, you know, self sense of self through yeah, you music. Have definitely, you have definitely done that. Um, so, uh, this is their first tour, which is really exciting, and it's a huge tour. They're going everywhere. Um, so for all my listeners, if they are anywhere near you guys, you need to go find them. And you can find them – you can see the tour dates on decapellalive.com, and you need to check that out uh, because they are worth it. Um, I have a friend, uh, David Wilner, who's big into acapella. He's the oh, head of – Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, uh, and he saw you guys uh, – he saw decapella – in the matinee show, I saw the evening show and he was just completely blown away by what, what was going on. So I'm just going to start with my questions because go, I have please. so many questions. Go, so go. 
I love the beginning of the CD um, of the album CD. I don't know what you call them anymore because it's really well, digital. I mean, it's, now, yeah, right? true. It's but you can, you can get CDs. They're in they're in Barnes and Noble, and that's you can true. Down, and, buy them from Amazon, but you can also yeah. get digital download, of course. Yeah. Um, so I love the tune up that you do at the beginning of it. I think it's it's so cool to listen to them each make all those individual sounds and then come together. First of all, in that unison note, which is outrageous because that for anybody that has never sung unison is so hard to do well uh, and make it sound like one. And then the chord, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. And when oh, they cool. did that on, and when they did that on stage, I thought I was listening to the recording. You Honestly. were listening. You were listening to the recording. So was here, let me explain what. Yes, let me explain. So um, uh, at the top of the album. I wanted to both do something that sounded like an orchestra tuning up, which is exactly right. But it was basically setting the plate. Like, what are we going to hear here? You're going to hear a little, some trumpet, electric guitar and drums. And just like you're sitting down to hear a symphonic concert. And then I wanted it to morph into something that's equivalent to the beginning of the THX movie theme. You know what I mean? We right. see that. And then you get the big, exactly like, THX old Dolby. <laughs> so like right. the whole song spectrum, you just get this big chord and then we're off to the races. And there are a couple different reasons right. for that. Um, number one, I wanted something that we could use live to get the singers onto the stage. So if they're moving into the space and they're singing their first notes, there's going to be a little bit of unsettledness to it. Correct. And I didn't want that. I wanted the first thing the audience hears to like put them in ease, like, okay. And also let them know, like, what's this going to be? Oh, you're sitting down. It's like there's an orchestra going on. And then you hear that big chord and you're like, ah, oh, it's all vocal. Here we go. And yeah. then also... After seeing Coco, I wanted the first song to be The World Is Me Familia. Yeah. However, The World Is Me Familia is exactly one minute long. It's actually <laughs> probably 55 seconds. <laughs> right. So starting the show with a 55-second long piece of music doesn't really work. It's too short. So mm -hmm. I was like, if I, if I create this tune-up and then it goes right into The World Is Me Familia, uh, and that's why they're in the same key, there's a handoff, then when they're live, we can move them into space and then do the whole like the beginning of a Disney movie thing like that whole, like you see the castle and you're pulling back, use that exact footage on the screen. So people are like, oh, it's yeah. like the beginning of a movie yeah. and it's like going to the symphony and it's like the THX warm up. And then what? And then they all, they're off the screen. And then all of a sudden they're up here and they're in all of their different spots and you see them and they do sing that last chord live. And then when they kick into the world's mm. me familia, it's pure live. So yeah. it's a transition that allows them to get in, put the audience at ease, tell the audience what we want, make them feel like it's the beginning of a movie all at once. It's all like whipped up into one big frothy smoothie. For yeah, them it's so cool. It's such a cool opening. And then to have those three songs, those connect the way that they do just go one right into the other one. It's yeah, so, yeah. it sets off this, the tone of the, of the concert so well. It's so cool. Thank you. And, and working with uh, the creative director for the show, Jim Land, who had done, Mythbusters Live and Alton Brown Live and The Illusions on Broadway. And then our choreographer was a good friend of his, Jen Rapp. Like the three of us worked together um, to, to integrate the vision. And uh, Kristen Bork, who is this incredible Russian video guy who lives in, in LA and helped us put together all the screens. Like we wanted to marry the music, the movement, the video, the lights, the everything had to be like seamlessly integrated and also in a way that would move well from theater to theater. So something you know right. you may have noticed where we have this 60 foot wide, 20 foot high screen, this high definition screen on the stage, there's the one 
flat panel in the back and then the two at an angle on the sides. The mm. reason um, we decided to go with this kind of uh, setup is when you're traveling, every stage is different dimensions. Exactly. And some of them might be kind of cramped and other ones would be just enormous, like a football field, like a giant opera center. And we didn't want our group to feel as though they're small in it. So we basically define the entirety of what the stage is going to be for every show and make sure that there's a consistency to the audience experience. I have so many questions. Keep them um, coming. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to jump way into the, into the sure. show. So I'm probably going to jump around a lot for what totally was in fine. the show. Totally um, so one of my favorite songs on the album is Step in Time. Because yes. Mary Poppins is my very favorite movie. Um, yes, mine too. It's the greatest movie Disney ever made. Ever. Hands ever. down. Yeah, okay, I agree. absolutely. Yes, you are um, I mean, I used to, I used to <laughs> exactly. I used to dance around to step in time in my basement, right? When I was a kid, I would just play yeah, the, yeah. I would just play it over and over again. Yep. And when, when I heard that on the recording, it challenged me as a musician and as a fan, right? Which I love. If music can challenge me, that makes me gravitate towards it right if sure. you know if i don't know what's coming up next that makes me excited um and the arrangement of this piece is such a i mean it totally turns the piece upside down it's no, like you, absolutely you it's like you shook it up and said what what can i what can i come out of this that is nothing like step in time and it, it's That's brilliant right. oh thank yeah. you well so uh i knew that i wanted to have the first so basically the show is kind of paced out. The first quarter of the show is like what you think you're going to get when you come to see Di Capella. Right. The second quarter of the show, we start to play with the audience and Antonio turns the audience into a drum machine and we yep. get, we turn into a giant dance party. And by the end of the first act, people think they've seen it all. Wow. Those guys did everything. Then we come back for the second half of the show and all bets are off. That's so right. So what I wanted it's true. to do with step in time is I wanted there to be a number where there was one person using a live looper, which is a very modern thing that's happening in acapella nowadays. You see some of those yes. like Sam Tsui and, and Mike Tompkins uh, and Peter Holland's solo person videos online, but that is in the studio and they overdub their voice and whatever, but there are people right. now who are using Ableton or other um, live looping boxes and they're doing a solo show. However, so, yeah, go ahead. So my question is, because in the recording studio, you don't have to use a looper in mm -hmm. the recording studio because you can record each of those bits yeah. piece by piece. Did you – is that how you did it in the recording studio and then knew that that was going to transition to the looper? Or did you actually – I designed it for a looper. In the recording studio, we didn't have to use the looper because when you're right. using Pro Tools, you're able to. But, right. but the entire thing has to work with the looper because we want it to work live and here's that so was here's always so that was always the intent it was designed for looper and i also i was like if it's one person who's going to be building up the song i want it to be like cool and moody and ethereal and feel 21st century and so cool. <laughs> i want people to not necessarily know what it is right out of the world right out of the gate so then you go through the entire disney catalog and you're like what song has so much repetition in it over and over and over and over again because ah. most of the Disney songs are actually very harmonically varied and complex. So current pop writing now is four chord loops. It's a lot like the right. doo-wop era in the 1950s. You've got the right. same four chord pattern over and over again. Most songs on the radio are like that now, but yeah. Disney songs are not like that. If you think about a song like When You Wish Upon a Star or anything, it's it, they're just all these chord changes that go here and there and everywhere. Doing that on a live looper, you have to have 
one loop and then it goes back on itself. So it needs to be super repetitive. And I was like, what's, what are the most repetitive songs? And I was like, step in time. And if I start with the word time, 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 and it's, and we like just have like stars, this giant field of stars, people are going to have no idea what's going on. It is so cool. It It is so cool. It is I just don't even know what else to say about it. It is so cool. Um, and when I was listening to it, when I first listened to the recording of it, I was like, I don't know what's going on because I was like, he's not using auto tune on this. He's not using, that's not what this is. Oh. I, and I could not tell what was going on. It was so, it's so brilliant. It's Thank so you. brilliant. It is one of those things. I think that when you see it, it makes much more sense than when you're just hearing it as an album. It Although I will say the people at Disney music group, that's one of their favorite tracks because you know, they hear this Disney totally. music all the time and they're like, this has been completely reimagined. Can you do more stuff like this? Absolutely. And then there was one person who did a review online, some Disney fan, and actually hated it. And I'm okay with that because yeah. I think the opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Right. And if I'm eliciting strong emotions through my creative choices and other people, then at least I'm getting in there and playing around. And I do think if that person saw it live their mind might be changed because they might now understand, you know, it's much like as if you hear a Broadway cast recording and some of the songs you're like, I don't get it. And then right. you see the show and you're like, okay, now this totally makes sense. Yeah. And that's absolutely. kind of what that song is meant for. And then immortals is <laughs> the completion of the concept of the live looper, because I wanted the finale of the show. I was like, we're doing, <laughs> we're doing basically it's a two hour show. So they're going to be an hour and 20 hour and 45 minutes of, of music how do you push it over the top so i was like Ugh. going rock and roll is really good but i want there to be more like how do we push more 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 10 10 10 where do we go now one us go to 11 it's my spinal tap quote for the day yes it is and, <laughs> and i knew i knew that live looper saving it to be used with the entire group for the last song then gives us the push over the cliff oh. to be able to uh make it just like the last bit it's so cool it's so cool. In both situations, it's so cool. Uh, both in both numbers. It's amazing. Let's let's I guess we're going we'll go backwards a little bit. Sure. Just a little bit. And let's talk about, you know, you talked about lip flapping. Yep. So let's talk about the three little pigs. Oh yes. Um, and who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Yep. So much fun. I it, I was not expecting it at all. And and not only were we in the audience having fun, they obviously loved doing it. Like oh, it, they didn't in rehearsal. I'll tell you two things. I'm Number sure one, they didn't. <laughs> that was one of the last arrangements I did because we needed to get the okay to be able to do this uh, lip flap thing. And when we finally got the okay, it was, I think that's the last arrangement I sent out. And it's also the hardest because the it's actually trimmed down a little bit from the full seven minute, you know, because yeah, you know, it's not as long. Trim a little right. fat, but that kind of cartoon music, and the same thing happens with the Warner Brothers Bugs Bunny or whatever. It's like, I mean, it just goes all over the place, keys yep. and tempi and whatever. And now all of the singers have in their ears a click that they're able to reference to so they don't have to watch the screen, but it right. pushes and pulls and goes all over the place. And just learning the notes, like Shelly, who would laugh, she like always would curse my name under her breath for every Pitch Perfect movie. Uh, she got to do that again with this one, you know, I love you, but I hate right. you right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, 
And I will also say, and this is a little bit of confidence, but it's you know it's it's something uh, something you should all should know. Um, that Three Little Pigs was on the chopping block 48 hours before the first show. Really? A couple of the big wigs at uh, Disney came to me and they said, uh, I'll be honest, uh, we think word's going to come down and they're going to want that. They're going to want that out of the show. And that it and they were like, we just we don't think it works. And I was like, please, please trust me. I, I, like, I was all ready to go to the mat and fight. I was like one yeah. time in front of an audience. Let me show you. And then as soon as the first show, they both came to me with these big wide eyed looks on their faces and a big smile. And they were like. Mia culpa, boy, was I wrong. Yeah, that's going to be one of the most talked about and memorable moments from the show. And and honestly, it was one of the first things I pitched with the idea of the show. It was like take one of those old things and be the foley and everything. And right. then I added one more twist by having Orlando be the outsider and comment on what's going Which on. Which is so funny. It's he's so he's hilarious. He's I, hilarious. I mean, I wrote a couple of those lines and then. The rest of it, he just like ran with it because he's an incredibly funny guy. And it's just so it's just so exactly like it's just a human being watching it going, really? Totally. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It is that that is a great, great moment. Um, thanks for explaining that. And oh, sure. And, and giving and, us a peek at that. And my hope is uh, each new time they go out on tour, we'll find another thing that they can. I mean, it'll become a signature yeah. part of of watching them live because it's just so incredibly fun and it's fun oh, for them. Too. So fun. And they get to be the three little pigs and they get yep. to kind of act it out underneath it. And Joe gets to be the wolf. And oh God, so, he's hysterical so lurking around. around the whole stage. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's great. So, and then also it's great that it features him and his amazing bass voice. Oh, he's, uh, he's a tremendous bass voice. And he's also a beautiful lyric baritone. And I think, yeah. you know, there's also, there's also this frustration where I'd love to be able to feature him more on leads, but yeah. bottom line, anytime he is on lead, the entire bottom falls out. So, you know, there are, there are right. moments he has throughout the entire show where he gets yes. to sing lead in Grim Grinning Ghosts. He sings stuff in, in uh Toy Story in, in When She Loved Me, which is, one oh. of my favorite Disney songs of all time. God, human fan. We're um, going to talk and, about that. So <laughs> yeah, he's, he's uh, it's great to be able to feature him and uh, feature him yeah, more. Sure. It's so great. It's so great. Um, so there are so many tunes, and, and everybody's going to be asking this as they see this concert and such. There are so many tunes that are not on the album. Right? Are they going to be on an album? People are going to want to know. <laughs> Perhaps. I mean, you know, here's the thing. Uh, there's always live. There's there's recordings. There are different things, um, and there are going to be things that we're going to record that'll never necessarily make it on stage. Uh, we've got a new track coming out that's a part of the big Little Mermaid 30th anniversary mm. experience, and there may be different uses of it, or it might pop up somewhere else. So, will every single thing they record end up on stage? No. Will everything on stage end up being recorded? No. But ideally, we'll end up getting more and more out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I only ask because there were so many things I wanted, right? Oh, I, I was like, I, I wanted the whole theme park ride medley. Oh, yeah, like, I'm so glad. So great. <laughs> so that was for me. That was uh, one of the things I really wanted to do early on, too, because so much of this comes from movies and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, lesser extent, you know, the television show, um, yeah. you know, Wonderful World of Disney when we were younger. And I wanted there to be a song, a medley that, that paid tribute to the great songs that are from the theme parks. You know, yeah. Sherman Brothers are responsible for a lot of them. Exactly. And also the people who are big Disney fans to be able to see Tiki Room and, you know, Grim Grinning yeah. Ghosts and, so and the great. Small and World. Pirates. And yeah. Pirates, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so great. Um, 
And what was really funny is that uh, a couple of the younger singers, like in the group, they had been to Disneyland, they've been to Disney World, they always go on the like latest rides, and they've never been in the Tiki Room. So for them, they were a little bit like, ah, Tiki Room, whatever, you know. And then uh, when they started doing the show live and they heard the roar from the audience when the Tiki Room same song came on, I was like, guys, you got to go to the Tiki Room. It's the greatest. Totally. Totally. I go every time. I, oh, I've seen it so many times and I still go. <laughs> the, the guest room in my house is, is a tiki guest room and I have a little like nice. from Hawaii, different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, nice. We I could totally nerd out on all of that. Oh, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, so one last thing I want to know about the sure. live concert. First of all, I, I believe that the group is better live than the recording. Honestly. Uh, I think groups are always better live. Yeah. Acapella is better live. There's something transcendent and ethereal and spiritual and interconnected about the experience of, of hearing people in a room singing. And they are, and that's why, thank you. I'm glad that's why acapella and, and, and vocal harmony in general is at the core of every holiday celebration and, and uh, you know, religious services and, and, you know, community get togethers and sing alongs like we, singing and harmony bring us together. And they're so powerful Honestly, the biggest challenge in my life has been trying to find ways through television, like the sing-off and movies like Pitch Perfect, to make people fall in love with acapella, because it's always better when you're in a small room with people singing. It's always better, you know, in person. So my last question about the the, uh, concert, sure. and this is totally coming from the music, my musician standpoint and watching it and going, it's got to be this, because I know they've got, they've got, because I know they have the, their their ear monitors in. Of course, yeah. Um, and I know that from a po- I've got two questions. Yeah, yeah. From yeah. a vocal percussion standpoint, yep. Who is keeping that the song moving? Right, yep. is keeping that steady beat. When there's video up on that screen, yep. Does he have a click in his ear? Absolutely. Okay, good. He uh, has to. So if, yeah. if he didn't have that, what happens if we end up? getting a little faster a little slower like nobody's perfect Which happens all the time right? yeah and we need to stay in sync with what's going yeah. on there so uh it's you know there's that click is there but it's not very loud and it's actually a little louder for antonio and then everybody yeah. else follows his vocal percussion yeah but and that's the way i mean how many is. rock bands how many rock bands have the drummer with a click in and honestly oh. other acapella groups so it's not i mean <laughs> they still have I've, to do it it's yeah. not and <laughs> in, in shows that i've done professionally the drummer many times has a click in his ear. So I, you know, I, I totally yeah, get yeah, it, especially yeah. if you have to keep it on a certain time frame. Correct. There's no know. way to, there's no way yeah. to stay with the, all the footage yeah. and all the quick, yeah, without it. And yeah. also that's also how they get their pitches. So they'll hear. That's, that was going to be pitch. my next question. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> so what's happening is someone's delivering an introduction, someone's talking, or maybe there's silence between songs and there's the applause. They'll hear the name of the song just to make sure that the you know they know what the next song is. If anybody spaces out, you think that you like oh, you never know. It happens. Show it number happens. thirty-two. You get you know you're <laughs> and you're in the middle of it. All of a sudden, you're like, where did it? They, I went to where the bottom. Where am I? Yep. Go so, to that white room. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Go into the light. Go into the light. So <laughs> they hear the name of the song, and then there's the chord. Boom. But 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 but, and they're off to the races. And they're off to the races. And they and they and they rehearsed with that so that they knew, you know. Every single time, it's going to be the same cue to get them into it, and right. they just like they they're super used to it. It's and seamless. So that way, yeah, you, there's no pitch pipe on stage. There's no right. wait. Can I have right. the pitch again? Wait, it's just right. right. Boom. The entire show right. flows together. 
Yeah, no, it's beautifully done. So let's talk a little bit about the arrangements. We haven't talked a lot about the songs, and there are some sure. songs that I really specifically want to talk about. So with the arrangements, I, we already talked about the opening tune-up, which I think is brilliant. I think it's so cool, and it does exactly what you want it to do. Like, that's completely the effect that you get from it. So good. Um, I want to talk about another song that was eye-opening to me is your mashup of Let It Go and Do You Want to Build a Snowman. Ah, and, yes. And here's why. First of all, it's a great mashup. Thank it, like, you. It is so good. Uh, but the depth of emotion that combining those two songs together brings to both songs is... Wow, thank you. ...is stunning. Like, I listen to it, and you know, we've heard Let It Go a, a million and five times, right? I mean, we Can't all know it. Let yeah. That's exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. right, you know, yeah. and, and rightfully so. Yeah. Um, you know, for many reasons. Uh, but to add, do you want to build a snowman? So where, like, what was I doing? Yeah. No, what I were you doing? You. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay. So I, so here's the thing. We couldn't do the show and not have frozen in it. Like you'd right. be crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. And Absolutely. actually, uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez was one of the four writers of on in, in, in transit. And right. she's the one who originally reached out to me as soon as they were off Broadway and they were like, we want to go to Broadway. She said, get Deke Sharon. So I've known Kristen for many years. And I remember when we were in the early days of, of prepping in transit for Broadway, where she was like, I can't be at this rehearsal. My husband, Bobby and I, Bobby Lopez from yeah. Avenue Q and Book of Mormon, yeah. uh, who's uh, the most amazing guy also. I love those two. Uh, they were like, we need to fly to Pixar. We're going to start working on this thing or go to Disney. You know, like we've got, you know, we can't be here for this rehearsal. So I was around all the time they were making this. And, um, and so I think a lot of people think like, oh, it's a happy Disney movie or whatever. Like, but there's a lot of depth in what they were trying to portray about, and they have two daughters, about being a girl, about being a woman, about the expectations, about the relationship between the sisters. It's, and I know there's there's been uh, ink devoted to this, but it's a Disney movie without a prince. You know, it's a Disney movie about about a transformation that doesn't involve falling in love, Right. Um, and if anything, that that whole thing is just it's a red herring in, in the course of the movie. Please so me. I was like, I want to do Let It Go, but we can't just do a typical Let It Go. Let me weave in. Do you want to do, build a snowman? And maybe I'll make it something fun. And so I started arranging these two songs and figuring out how they would interweave. And it immediately by by stripping the songs down and looking at the depth with which they were written and knowing Kristen in particular well, I couldn't get away from the power of the lyrics and the relationship between the sisters. Yeah. And so I went into it thinking this will be a light, happy little, little dalliance in the show. And about 10% of the way into my arrangement, I was like, uh Oh, this is going to be a really powerful, heavy moment. And I also, you know, arranged it with Shelly in mind because I knew she would just, blast her way through this song you know she's and and actually there's a character and a quality to her voice that no one has ever heard before in the pitch perfect movies or anything else that she delivers in that song she almost sounds like another person she transforms and then having morgan be the younger sister because she has this young and she actually morgan turns 21 after we cast the group and we're making the album together so she is young <laughs> she's the youngest one in the group she is the ingenue and the youth in her voice and the way she looked up to Shelley and the way the two of them became sisters and the storyline about one, one older sister who's becoming herself and the younger sister who's trying to understand the separation that's happening between them and then turning to 
to help reinforce. And then in the end, they sing it together. Like it was very much designed to reflect the relationship as it progresses in the movie. And I wanted it to be a, a serious emotional delivering and an adult representation of a message that we don't get a chance to hear in popular music very much. Well, you accomplished it in spades. Uh, when I heard it on the recording, I was completely blown away by it. It, com it was so unexpected. Um, and like I said, the depth that it adds to both songs uh, is is really a stunning accomplishment, especially for two songs that we all know so well. That we know so well. And one of them really is, you know, there's a, there's a depth to it. But Do You Want to Build a Snowman initially starts very light. But then about two-thirds of the way, and once you get into the bridge, like, it turns dark. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah, the, it does. don't remember that part. They don't think of it as that. They just think, do you want to build a snowman? And probably, like, right. every winter for the next 50 years, kids are going to run outside and sing that little line and remember it from the early stages of what that song is rather than what it actually becomes, which is the distancing between oh. these two because of the, of the challenges that one is experiencing. Yeah, that's right. Well, and challenges that they're both experiencing, right? With the, the loss of the parents. Of and yes, the, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you're exactly right. Um, yeah, but I think I just love this mashup. It's, it's one of my favorite things. That's you know, hard. That's hard to say because there are so many songs on here that I loved. Well, I appreciate that. So. And, 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 you know, mashups, uh, which uh, it's not new, but obviously through Pitch Perfect, it became much better known. You know, usually a mashup is chosen because the two songs are really well or, you know, there's some kind of like cute way you're going to get them to play together. But this is one that's really emotionally mashed up. It's completely thematically interwoven. That's that's what leads it off. And that's why I don't just take one song and we like and it's going and the other one's going at the same time. They literally play back and forth with each other so that the story can be told. Yeah. And and you do that also with uh, part of your world and um, a whole new world, uh, a whole new world. Right. right. But, but to different effect. Right. right. Now, that was one that was uh, it's they're both songs about about longing and a desire to see the world. Right. So in a way, they are they are brother and sister songs from opposite sides. And I was like, it's another one where I was like, let me see if I can mash these songs. Not it, by the way, not every mashup works out. You get, you know, a third of the way down the road and you're like, it's not going to happen. You're but like, luckily, no. Yeah. And Alan Menken's <laughs> songwriting is so strong and the lyrics, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. it's, you know, Ashman's one of the greatest lyricists of the past hundred years. I don't think there's easily, any easily. Um, and Schwartz so, isn't exactly so, a slouch. No, of course. No, Schwartz so, <laughs> has, has strong game, strong game, right, strong so, game. <laughs> but the idea of, of taking, you know, one person who's, who's longing to see the world and another person who's saying, let me show you the world and having them play back and forth was, was compelling. And then the way we're able to do it with the screens as well, that, that yeah. this is another Disney rule. You can't have two characters from different movies and different worlds on the screen together. You cannot I actually know that. that rule. Is a, that's a very, very strict rule. We're not, you know, this isn't the Scooby-Doo meets, you know, whatever that we grew up watching where like, let's have guest stars on our show. That's right. So no, I, I it's, it's beautiful. Uh, absolutely beautiful. So you mentioned this earlier and I was, I had it written down to actually bring up um, when she loved me is one of my favorite songs ever. Yeah. Ever. Um, in the Disney thing. And um, this is a two-part question. First sure. of all, you wrote it for a quartet. Yes. 
which I grew up listening to barbershop, listening to Manhattan transfer, right? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. New York voice. I mean, oh, yeah. I could name a, a sure. dozen of those groups, classics. right? Classics, classics yes. that I grew yeah. up listening to. Um, and that's where my heart is right in that, that four part tight. Yep. Ugh, right. Just yep. sink yep. your teeth into it. Yep. This arrangement is beyond. It is Thanks. so gorgeous. Um, the way well, it's that the song, you know, yeah. I, I appreciate you saying it, but I have to say that it's the song now, now, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, I'm a big fan of whatever. Like I am, I am a huge Randy Newman fan. I own every yeah. single one of his albums. And I yeah. think that his, his style and his songwriting, the acerbic wit that he brings to it, that the, mm -hmm. the darker side of humanity that he shows. And often people misunderstand, like they think short people is actually not, they think it's anti-short people when no, it's, it's pointing out the ridiculousness as a prejudice. And then That's a song right. like I Love LA where he's making fun of jingoism and, and yet it's been <laughs> adopted by LA to be a positive thing. You know, it's, yeah. It's actually, it's absolutely that that's a great irony that I'm sure he savors because he lives in, in LA. I'm sure he savors um, it daily. <laughs> yeah. But when she loved me is a very bittersweet song oh. that's written with a great deal of truth in it. And, uh, you know, I'm not one of those people who cries at movies, but I don't know how you don't have a tear in your eye when you yeah. see that scene in toy story two. It's, it's just true. because we've all experienced loss and the song is so it's pure. You're, you're, the, 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 his his understanding of harmony and kind of the American canon, like it sounds like it's a folk song at the same time as being yeah. a piece of pop in the music. Um, yeah, he's a master so at that. Great, he's a master. So there's great harmonic and melodic, uh, you know, industry going on and great great mechanics going underneath that allow you to play with these chords and to shift and and change. And then um, and 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 something that uh, that less was more. Um, when we were watching the whole thing, I was wondering, should we have just a, a, just a flavor, just a tease of the video footage towards the end? And Jim, who totally knew I was going with, uh, had Christian at, at just the ending where you see Jesse in the donation box and the car goes away. So the whole song is uh, what we uh, friendly <laughs> in friendly way like to call park and bark, right? The, totally. the singers stand on stage and they sing. And it's just yes. four people and it's four part harmony. And that was one of the things I knew from the very beginning I wanted to do. I wanted that stripped down, very honest um, experience. And I wanted it late in the first half because I wanted people like, okay, there's a lot of running around, there's singing, there's dancing, there's screens or whatever. Let's just have there be some purity and let's, and let's have that purity be in a song that is so pure in and of itself. So it can just be about the chords and the emotion and the moment. But then that one little bit of the of the video literally opening night there were gasps in the audience it's it's heart-wrenching right because because that moment in in the movie also triggered experiences that we've all had of loss because it's totally. it's, it's an impossible human emotion to to avoid so yeah in in as much as i wanted this journey that the that decapella takes the audience on to be one that is like a roller coaster, you know, widespread and all over. I wanted there to be some deep truths and some some powerful emotions alongside all of the laughter and the joy and the playfulness. And I there was no question in my mind. I think when she loved me was probably in the first two or three songs that I chose to be a part of it because it it is perfection. It is. I totally agree. And I there's totally only agree. one little change that I made to it. Um uh at the 
you know, there are a couple moments in the song where I add a couple chords and they sing the word me again. Yes, they do. We're going to talk about those chords. (laughs) Yeah, very good. Very good. (laughs) I want to talk about those because um, am I correct in at the end of Remember Me? You revisit those chords. Good ear. You're correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And um, I when I first listened to the recording and talked about it, and if you listen to the podcast, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast. It doesn't matter. Don't answer that. Um, But I even point that out. I didn't point that particular part of it out, but I pointed out those chords because those chords are like. I don't even know. I don't even have the word to describe those chords. So, so it's, so you're exactly right. And it was a very intentional move on my part. I wanted to bring back a a heart to hearken back to that moment of repeating those words, me me, before the ending. And it's, it's a flat six, flat two. It's tritone substitution. If you get, if you want to get all music theory, nerdy on it. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. It's, 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 it's a, it's a clear departure. So you're kind of like, where am I in harmonic space? Yes. Yes. What, where are we going? I feel lost right now. And that's and why it's, it's brilliant. Both, you're, it's both beautiful and it's unsettling. Yes. And I wanted there to be, I felt like in uh, When She Loved Me, we needed to spend a little more time in that moment. Okay, well, we're going to talk about When She Loved Me in just a minute. Yeah. So, But I wanted to address those chords because, one, I wanted to, to acknowledge that that was what was happening. What I heard was correct. That that is exactly correct. Good. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, so that is, uh, it is in both pieces because you do it twice and then you just, and then you just do it at the end of, um, remember me and both times that that happens, there is a mo and you're right. It's unsettling. There's a moment of discomfort in what you're listening to, right? Because you're not quite sure what's going to happen. And I think it's so effective in the emotional context of what's happening in uh, When She Loved Me. And so yeah, I just, wanted to, I just wanted to commend you on it. <laughs> thank you. It's designed to give you a And this is where music theory, you know, when you, when you study it deeply enough and, and you then have more of these tools, it's, right. it's consciously designed to emotionally elicit a sense of beauty but also like a loss of sense of, of self or space. Like you don't know where you are. You're floating. You're, you're ungrounded. You're confused. You're um, unmoored, which is often where you, how you feel in those times. Like the world is kind of tingling around you. Totally. It's... And, and, and with Remember Me, uh, to bring it back at that moment was again to say, you know, don't leave me. Don't like there, because there is, with remember me, there's a sweetness. Please remember me, please, you know. But but if you don't remember me, I will be lost. You will yeah. have left me. And it will be when she loved me. So it, it, it's, it's putting, it's putting a, a greater depth at the very end of the song just to remind people of, of the, it, the stakes. And, you know, the thing that I love is that, that most people aren't going to notice that, right? But they're going to feel it. They, and that's what music is. Music that's is exactly right. and I want to impart emotion above and beyond that's intellectual right. recognition. And this is yeah. something to know. 
I very much believe that my job as an arranger is to never call attention to myself, but rather to create the experiences for the audience. I could do much flashier things. Of I course. could be constantly making people think like, wow, look at this cool stuff he did and, and take people out of the movie in the same way the cinematographer or out of the music in the same way a cinematographer can do cool things or a director. And then you're not in the story. You're kind right. of thinking like, wow, look at this cool thing the director's doing. But then you're not. You, you see, I don't want that. I want the experience that I heard Paul McCartney had when he went to In Transit, whereas he, the lights dimmed and he realized, wow, this is going to be acapella. I wonder if it's going to work. And then at the end of the musical, the lights came up and he was like, wow, what in, wait a minute. That was all voices, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what I want. I don't want you constantly being in the middle of it and there's a heartfelt scene and you're like, wow, that's incredible what they're doing with voices. That's a yeah. fail to me. So that's I right. appreciate that you understand that I'm going for the mood, not not the easy recognition or the flashy look at me. Yeah, that's that's the musician in me, right? That's the it's the and and you know, those are the things that for me as a musician I appreciate. I appreciate what you did with that quartet to begin with, but then to layer that on top of it is that's to me that's that that is what transports me. Right. Good. As a musician. So and, well, and but also and, and everybody else. Well, it's supposed to like it's not yeah. supposed to be. And this is something that's difficult with harmonic language, you know, and uh, there are people who like more complex music and jazz. And there are people who like simpler music. And and ultimately, I try to to paint with vocal colors in a bandwidth that ends up uh, working for both. Right. So there's enough complexity that it's engaging for people who have a musical ear and people who love acapella and people who are like, wow, look at the mechanics of all this going on. Like this, that's pleasing to me because another analogy I might use is spiciness. I want it to be spicy enough that people who like spicy food go, ah, delicious, but not right. so spicy that people who don't really like spicy food go, oh, it's too spicy for me. I can't handle it. But right. I don't want it too bland either. This is a constant right. battle as an arranger because you're trying to deliver food on a plate that everybody will like to eat. Right. And, and, you know, we talked about, uh, we mentioned Tony DeRosa, um, earlier yeah. in the podcast and he right. is, he's huge in the barbershop quartet world. Of course. Um, and in the barbershop quartet world, there is a, there's an ongoing battle about that, right? Because sometimes quartets come out and are technically unreal. Right. Like, they do things that, you know, are are amazing. And then you have other quartets that come out and sing simpler things and do that amazing. Right. But they touch you emotionally, too. So right. what you know, it it's a constant battle in that world, which has other issues, um, of course, from an entertainment standpoint, I think. Another piece that I really loved, and I loved it on the recording, but I think I love it more now um, that I've seen them in concert is uh trash in the camp ah yes and i will be honest with you and and my listeners know this tarzan not my favorite disney movie and the music not my favorite because i feel like it all sounds like phil collins right, right. because right. i mean obviously that's what they were going for that's totally what they were going for i totally yeah. get it and right? they went to actually i think when sting they got sting to do the stuff for emperor's new groove and it didn't work out like i think they started down a path away from they're kind of like staff writers that understood musical theater and wanted to go more towards rock and roll. And obviously their biggest success was Lion King without John. Right. right. And, and they were like, well, let's keep swimming in these waters. And I think they pretty quickly learned after a couple of movies that the Lion King angle 
was unique. And it's very difficult because the personality and the sound and the style and the character of that individual singer songwriter is overwhelming. And also they they are good at writing what's true to them, not necessarily writing what works within a story. That's right. Um, and but Elton John, since he was working with Tim Rice, already had like half of it anchored in musical theater. So, right. uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we right. could go on with that. We could talk about that forever. Of yeah, course. A- absolutely. Um, but Trash and uh, Trash in the Camp is is one of the few songs from that that I really love. Um, I really love that piece because I think it is not typical of Phil Collins. Right. It's not a typical it doesn't sound it's not his sound. No. Right? And it's and it's also very it's very vocal and very playful. Yes. And so the idea of, of coming back uh, at the top of the second half of the show with something that's just like a playground romp with yeah. body percussion. And that's actually the simplest arrangement in the show. If you're just looking at really, you know, well, there's a lot of improvisation in it. So there's a lot uh-huh. of room, but just like that, you know, three part parallel thing going on. Right. And then the bass line. And in fact, the chords are simpler in the original. I don't know if you could hear, I reharmonized it a little bit. So there's yeah. a rather than just having it be back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, it kind of like there's this ascending bass line so that it, it takes feels, a someplace. Right. Because when you hear it in the original, it's very short, but yes. I didn't want to open this act also with a 60 second to 90 second thing. That is actually one right. of the biggest challenges of the show. Many Disney songs are much shorter than you actually think they are because they get in, do a little something and disappear. That's and, right. And Trash in the Camp is one of them. It's very, very short. Yeah. But wanted to spend some more time and have some fun with body percussion and I just kind of, you know, kind of come come into the second half of the show smiling. Yeah. And it and it's obvious that they enjoy doing it. Oh, of like, course. They are playing up on that stage, which is great. So you know, kudos to them, too, for having so much fun doing it. it. It just struck me as it was like they make it sound like it was made for them. Right. They make it sound like it was written for them. And oh, yeah, like they well, just they are. It. They're all written for them. A bit, but well, I, I see what from you mean, arrangement standpoint. Itself. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And, and, and having large swaths of improvisation in there um, allows them to put into it what they want. You know, yeah. people think of improvisation as being um, jazz and complex and whatever. But honestly, People singing and playing and having fun, that's the oldest music. People right. standing in a circle at the end of the camp, you know, at the end of the harvest, at the end of the hunch, stand in a you know, circle around the fire and just make music together. That's really yeah. what that song is. Yeah. So it, it feels almost primordial in its simplicity and letting them do the little shout outs and all that kind of stuff breathes life into it. Yeah. Well, they obviously have fun doing it. Um, oh, yeah. we've, we've talked about Step in Time, which is stunning. And to watch her do it on stage is so Super fascinating. Cool. It's so yeah. cool. <laughs> it's really cool. Um, remember me. Yep. Um, so they come back out and they, they're like, okay, first of all, let's just talk about the performance of it on the stage because they sure. come out and they put their mics down. Yep. What it said to me, and I'm sure everybody else in the audience got it was they were saying, okay, We've been singing through this, all this stuff, and it's all sounded great, and it's all sounded. But we want you to know that we can really do this. Of course, that this of is course. not that's a piece of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a right, piece of and it. it's it's not the it's not I'm singing to a recording. It's we're really doing this. Right, and it's just us, and just listen to our voices. And honestly, right. 
that is putting down your mics and singing a song off mic is a hallmark of modern acapella. Many major groups do it because it's such an incredibly powerful and transformative experience. It is. I saw Michael Bublé actually do it in his does it in his concert. He comes sure. back out at the end and fills an arena. Right. Right. At the end. And it's, so and it's such a great flavor to leave people with. So I wanted to arrange something again. It's four part, but it's doubled up now. It feels choral. And in fact, yes. I've got an annual Carnegie Hall show that um, is coming up in a couple of weeks and Di Capella will be off tour. They're going to come back and join me there and they'll be singing nice. it on stage. They'll start it and then a choir of several hundred will be behind them and the whole audience will be lifted up in, oh. in those chords in a way. That's, I'm super excited. Oh, about that. Yeah, that yeah, just, yeah. Uh... <laughs> so fun, right? Yeah, so, so um, fun. I didn't so realize another... it's so interesting that I was drawn to that piece considering that it's another four-part arrangement right it's another yeah uh four-part thing which yeah. s-h-e-b you know, it's very yeah. traditional and it's probably you know that song and uh and others are in the tour song book and also are being released by how Leonard. so the sheet music will be available and people can um people can uh, download it and sing it with the choirs right. and whatever and if right. anybody's looking for any individual song they can contact me as well and um, right. But I wanted the I wanted the show to end with that sense of like honesty and simplicity and the connection without any amplification, without anything between people. And um and I knew when I saw Coco also that's the song. And this is another oh, yeah. one where Kristen and Bobby, they were given an impossible task. They totally and you could there are interviews with them where basically the uh filmmakers were saying, like, okay, we need a song to work both up tempo and slow. It needs to be, you know, it, it basically needs to hit all these story points and then all these other ones i don't want to give too much away for the six people out there that haven't seen coco yet um <laughs> all my uh, listeners have seen coco i can assure okay, you <laughs> good. well um you know obviously they figured out a way to make the song work in both cases yeah and yet obviously the latter version the the ballad is the one that is so powerful and i so i knew i wanted that to be the off mic song and it also says something like remember me like they're saying like okay we hope that tonight's music has had an impact on you and that you remember the power of vocal harmony. You remember the joy that can be brought to you when you sing together and the strength of diversity and all of these messages that are not explicitly stated throughout the show and yet hopefully have an impact on the people in the audience. Join a choir, support your kids when they're studying music in school, um, understand the incredible power that is possible when you bring different people together and they create things. Like there are a lot of messages that are implicit in the design of the group itself the way that I'm arranging it, the way that we pace the show that in many ways reflect a better society. And we, I want those messages to resonate with people. I want people to go home and think about it and to have the show stay with them for days. And that's, that's what I've heard happens. I'll just be honest with you. It made me cry as a, as a, as an audience member, as a musician, as a human being listening to them sing that off mic uh, the power of what that is, it made me cry. Good. Well, it's music is catharsis. And, and there's that that scene, you know, there's no crying in baseball from uh, right. you know, League of Their Own. Uh, there's always crying in acapella if you do always. it right. It's the that, <laughs> well, because because human, human endeavor and human expression too often, particularly in our kind of westernized cultures, um, emotions are suppressed or at least, you know, non-strong emotions. And... Uh, and we have to always be joyful or occasionally angry, but we don't want to show sorrow. We don't want to show loss. We don't want to show weakness and fear and, and sadness. Um, and yet 
there can be tears of joy as well. And like at the end of, of uh, you know, a Pixar movie about all the different joy and anger and everybody and all the marbles uh, right. intermingled, there's, there is a great release that can happen when music is done properly. So I'm glad you had that experience, the culmination yeah. of all this, the, this harmony that you've heard. That's good. It, it was really great. It was, it was really great. And like I said, um, the whole, I mean, the concert was stunning. The group is absolutely amazing. Um, congratulations on all of that. I, uh, you know, um, I just can't say enough about like everybody I get a chance to talk to about it. I'm talking to about it just because I want everybody to know what's out there. Partly because I love acapella music, right? But also partly because I think this is an opportunity to open it up to a lot more people because it's Disney. Right. And, you know, people are like, oh, it's Disney. I'm going to listen to that. Right. Or right. I'm going to pay attention a little bit to that. And it, and, right. and I think it's just so brilliant. Um, and thank you. Anybody that gets a chance to see them live needs to go see it. Uh, Please come see. There's another. There's another uh, couple weeks of of uh, touring, and then um, and I I don't want to say something that I'm not supposed to say, knowing a little insider information. But it's possible if you don't get a chance to see them, if you are on the East Coast and they've passed by, or you're somewhere around the world that the show isn't going to be. Um, uh, we'd still have some gigs through uh, the mountains and then on the West Coast, and then we're coming to Japan, guys. Uh, get ready for us. Um, but uh, we are planning right now to uh, shoot some uh, video of the show and uh, that's going to be nice. somewhere I will I will announce when and where I can but exactly uh, just know that we feel so strongly about the show and the music and the power of, of what we're trying to say that uh, we feel this this first tour needs to be immortalized so um, more about yeah. that soon yeah it is it is so good it's so good so congratulations on all thank of that. you thank you really. thank you thank you and thanks for being so aware of what's going on and so um you know attuned to the nuances of it this is a very pleasurable interview it's an opportunity to talk about the mechanics of what's going on so uh thank it's you. been great yeah it's been great fun right to to get to not only share uh you know the love of it but to kind of nerd out a little bit on it and and um i love that uh like i said we, we could talk for a lot longer than uh what we've been talking trust me and i'm sure you're the same way oh of course, of um, course. and so, for the three listeners that are still enjoying the show yeah <laughs> this this podcast thank you for sticking with us well it's gonna have to at least be two podcasts of because course. i no, try to totally. keep it to about 45 minutes and yeah, we've gone well past up. that That's yeah about all right. exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. um so uh i want to thank you for being here it's amazing what you're doing uh for not only the acapella world, but just for the world of music and for people um, and the education that you do and that you embark on. Um, so amazing. You're always every time I hear you speak, um, you're so supportive and of everybody that's singing. Uh, and so it's so great that you uh, have that attitude in that drive it's an educator's heart i appreciate um, that it is an educator's heart I'm, yeah it's I'm, an educator's I'm, people heart. have called me an evangelist I, I truly believe that the world yeah. would be a better place and will be a better place when we get more people singing and more people connecting yeah so i appreciate that um so what is next for you and if you just quick like what's What's on the horizon for you? What's coming up? Well, uh, like I mentioned, uh, Decapel's got the rest of the tour, and then uh, we got a um, 
get them ready for some other great performances and a uh, big Japanese tour, which is going to be exciting. I've got an annual Carnegie Hall show uh, called Total Vocal, and um, this is the fifth year of it. It's almost sold out, but uh, there are still a few tickets available. That's March 24th in the afternoon, Sunday, March 24th. And there are going to be 500 singers flying in from around the world, as well as Di Capella and Home Free will be showing up uh, oh, nice. at this performance, which is super fun. And I've got choral festivals that I'm doing in Hawaii, and I'm doing Voice Jam in, in Bentonville, Arkansas, and Central Bucks Acapella Festival outside uh, Pennsylvania, and um, uh, the Highlands Fest in New Jersey. So the the, the group uh, Highlands Voices that was in um, the Pitch Slap show on Lifetime, the quote-unquote competitor group, they're my friends, and the director, Tom Pastor, is an amazing guy, and so I go back to the festival each year and work with them. And this is just... This is just the spring. I mean, there's there's a lot more coming down the pike, uh, down the line. Camp Acapella, if anybody out there listening to this wants to sing, and they're between the ages of 12 and 112, check out campacapella.com <laughs> online. It's a week. It's like fantasy camp, and they're middle school groups, high school groups, uh, collegiate groups, adults, casual educators. And um, people come as individuals, and we put them together in small ensembles. You get to pick what you're going to major in, if it's solo singing or vocal percussion, and you learn how to arrange all kinds of stuff. And then, oh my, I'll be at the European Choir Games uh, uh, as, as a, in the jury as a judge and uh, alongside, let's see, John Rutter and uh, one of the mem- founding members of the Real Group. And the oh, vocal so just small Japan people. Festival. Not very, yeah, not yeah, very yeah, well yeah, known. Yeah. And the Sweet Adeline's <laughs> education event coming up this summer, Manchester, England, and I'll end there. That that gets us up to the summer. It's, that, that's uh, great. Just you know, I'm I'm flitting around like uh, Johnny Appleseed, trying to trying to continue to plant more and acapella absolutely, trees. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so that's awesome. So where can people find you on the socials? Because I'll I'll put links in uh, the description. But where yeah, can yeah, they yeah. find you on the socials? I'm everything is Deke Sharon. So Twitter, Deke Sharon, Facebook, Deke Sharon, Instagram, Deke Sharon. Uh, I've got Snapchat and, and, and Tumblr and stuff. I don't really use them, but you know, I'm, yeah. I'm Deke Sharon there too. Uh, and, um, my Facebook, I mean, my, uh, website is DeekSharon.com. Basically, if you type my name in online, you'll find a link to, to, to any and all of it. And I try to try to be pretty active on them. And also anybody is out there. If you're listening to this, if you used to sing and you want to sing in a group now, drop me a line. I'll help you find one. If you're young and you're in school, join the school choir. Be a part of all that kind of stuff. If you're starting a new group and you need some arrangements, I'll send you some arrangements for free. Like, this is what I do and I want to help people. So don't be shy about reaching out. Like, I can help you get in touch with the great resources in your area and make sure you have this wonderful harmony in your life. It's not just for listening anymore. Great. That is awesome. And and. It's just one of the many reasons that I love you and love the work that you're doing. Um, It's so great. Uh, Great. So I will link all of that uh, in the comments or in the description of the podcast. So you can check that out. I will also link to your books. Uh, You've written five books, I think. Correct. Five. Yep. And the tour song book is uh, another one, but you can only get it at shows right now. And then there's I have over 2000 arrangements I've done that are out there. If anybody's interested, those are easy to find. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, I actually own all five of those books. So oh, wow. Just, just so you know. <laughs> Good. So, but thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I am so appreciative and thankful uh, that you took the time out to to share your knowledge with us and talk about this amazing group called Decapella uh, that I think Jim. that I think more and more people are going to fall in love with. 
Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's the plan. That's the hope. Get more people singing and, and uh, have this group inspire them. Thanks great. for uh, asking great questions and uh, having this podcast. I look forward to sharing it with people and having it spark more discussions of great dirty musical theater things and how to put together a show and how to start a group and all of it. Absolutely. Well, there you have it. That concludes our interview with Deke Sharon. Wow, what a great interview. A full two different podcasts uh, with that interview. Deke was so great and so gracious of his time uh, to talk about decapella and acapella music and all the behind-the-scenes stuff that was so interesting to find out. Um, I really appreciate that, and I know that you do too as listeners. You can find all Deke's information uh, in the show notes. For this episode, um, along with a listing of his books uh, that are great if you're into acapella and want to know more about it. So feel free to reach out to Deke. He's extremely open and accessible, which is really amazing for somebody of his stature in the business. I would love to hear from you. I'd like to hear what you thought about this podcast and our past podcasts. You can find me on social media. Uh, at Twitter, I'm Disney Music Dude. On Facebook, at Magic Music Review or at magicmusicreview.com. Uh, and I would love to hear from you. I want this to be a conversation, not a lecture. So tell me what you think. Uh, leave a message. Uh, leave a review on iTunes. I would appreciate that. Five-star reviews really help us out uh, to get the word out about this podcast and what we're doing here. So I'd appreciate that too. And with that, thanks a lot for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. will never die. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. Now it's time to say goodbye to all our company. soon why because we like you and